but the middle is a really dangerous place to be in. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. This is a uh, this is an international edition now. It wasn't when we scheduled it, but uh, today's guest has uh, recently relocated back to uh, the UK just in time for all the festivities and fun that's happening there, right, Neil? That's right. Perfect time. <laughs> it's an exciting time for sure. Uh, today's guest is the co-founder and global managing partner of 21st Century Brand, Mr. Neil Barry. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Adam. Very honored to be on your fine program. No, I'm I'm honored to have you. So um, we we were able to have a couple of talks before we started recording, and uh, I can tell the listeners that they are in for a treat here. Uh, and the reason they're going to know that immediately is Neil. Would you, if they're not familiar with you already, would you mind giving people a little bit of background into uh, your career and kind of what you've done leading up to founding 21st Century Brand? Sure. Yeah, a few things to know about me that are useful. Uh, number one is I'm a failed rock star. Uh, I spent the um, first seven years uh, of my kind of 20s. Uh, I had a misguided epiphany at a Radiohead gig uh, back in the day when I was interviewing them. And it was like me and another guy really into music, um, you know, sort of talented, but nowhere near Radiohead's level. <laughs> very like, few, very few are. Yeah, we're like, we should do this. This this is exactly what we should do. Right. Rather, rather than being sort of like these guys are God or whatever. So that was and and so but um so we spent a good a good few years uh releasing records and touring UK and bits of bits of Europe and doing lots of great, great, enjoyable things and ticking lots of boxes in, in terms of dreams, but not making really enough money to last. So I uh, switched to I guess a more commercial type of creativity where it's a bit less oversupplied than the London music scene. Um when I was actually I guess quite old compared to like your listeners, maybe I was 29 um and started working in in brand and communications strategy, sort of talked my way into it a bit, but um ended up being something I had a real sort of affinity for and passion for and uh worked um probably the most the most influential places that i worked was first was bbh the the so london ad agency you know a brilliant uh storied agency strategy they take st- strategy as seriously as as life or death there and i think yeah, that, it, is a, it is a religion at bbh yeah it is and, and that's really I was, I was talking to someone about that today and it, it actually really you know you take as you're building your career, you really take things from different places, kind of consciously and unconsciously. And from there, the moment I walked into one of the first meetings, I was like, oh my God, these guys take it. Like, it, it is life or death, the way they were ripping someone apart who <laughs> come in with a wrong sort of insight or whatever. But it, but it, it taught me that you, you know, it's such a responsibility, actually. If you're going to say you're a strategist, you're going to put that in your title and, and actually expound on that to people, then you, you, you've got to take it really seriously. Whilst not taking yourself too seriously, but taking the craft seriously and I learned a lot from there um I was actually in their ventures division called Zag so the, the whole remit there was to re- really shift the balance of the agency's bottom line from being completely dependent on client revenues to having uh about a quarter dependent on um IP share of success um stakes and companies and so on so it was a really good kind of grounding and commercial and creative strategy we'd raise money for companies we'd invent our own product we'd do partnerships we ipo'd something uh so i learned a lot really really quickly there yeah that's that's exciting you can't learn that stuff without that kind of hands-on opportunity 
yeah, it was really just trying to convince investors quite early on to invest in in in, in brands. It, it gives you a different perspective on how to talk about brand strategy in a way which is really, really down to earth and, and simple, but really, um, you know, rooted in truth and rooted in what and, what and how brands can can grow, and not to dress it up too much. So I think that was quite influential for me. Um, I then headed out after a really good four years there, headed out to the West Coast. I got so into tech, you know, doing these partnerships and doing these innovations. That I really wanted to try out the West Coast because there was so much coming out of it. I was sort of obsessed with Fast Company and all the, you know, all the new wave of companies that seem to be changing the world. And I went out to LA to work at Shire Day um, in their strategy department and ended up pitching the global Airbnb business back in 2014 and that ended up being like a really significant sort of journey for me and um, wow. my life because like just coming into that company at that moment when they were still you know sort of they still had their you know still very much a sort of quirky backpacker business but, but growing quickly but but weren't really a, a brand and the new CMO at the time Jonathan Mildenhall and the new global marketing director Alex Dimitriani had just just joined when we pitched it and so I I kind of bonded with them when, when we won it and, and just that journey we went on kind of creating and developing the brand they're working with the leadership there and you know just expanding the product at the same time and what an interesting time to be there i mean you're the, i think the theme of your of your career that i'm hearing so far is just great timing to be exp- having these experiences well that, yeah that that was a yeah i, I mean definitely you know luck is a mixture of i don't know it's serendipity and, and really, really hard work. And yeah. I definitely had, you know, both of those uh, out, out there. And, and that was very formative and uh, ended up, um, cut a long story short, enjoying the Airbnb thing so much and just what you can do when you put brand and a really progressive tech uh, product together with visionary leadership, when it goes right, it can just be incredibly powerful. And we, we realized, you know, we can try and make a business out of doing this. There's quite a lot. The, the circumstances we were seeing Airbnb we realized we're quite common, uh, in, particularly out on the West Coast, but also in, in places like Berlin and London. And, and, and we thought, right, we're, we're going to make a business out of this. Because it's not easy work. In fact, it's quite brutal at times because there's such a difference in philosophies often between the tech companies and the traditional world, worlds of marketing in terms of just language and outlook and how you measure growth and how you measure success and all of that. But when you really get them working together, it's, it's brilliant uh, and actually neat quite needed for a lot of companies as they're scaling, uh, certainly, I believe. So we founded, we decided to found um, 21st Century Brands together just about 18 months ago. And Neil, is, is that the founding pin of 21st Century Brands, the, the alignment of brand and, and forward-thinking technology and solution, or, or what is the...? Yeah, I think, I, I think that, that's at the core of, of what we're trying to do. Um, our, our mission, our purpose is, is to really create the most influential brands of our time, help create them. Not we're not doing single handedly, but really, really do that. And, and and companies that can really have a lasting positive influence on on the way that people live and, and work. And 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 we think that that's a it's a really powerful combination when done right. So that's that's really what we're all about. And we work all the brands we work with are definitely innovative and progressive. We work, we work with the leaders and founders of, of, of a lot of some of the most progressive and innovative companies on the planet. Yeah. And through the, through the journey, you just uh, walked us through, uh, thank you for taking us through that, through your career being at Zag and then your, your um, leadership with Airbnb and working with that team at that perfect time when they were really maturing into uh, from a, an idea into a brand 
and, and what a brand it's become, uh, you must have seen this idea of disruption. I mean, especially Zag is kind of founded on going the other way and, and trying to find a way into to disrupt. And what I wanted to talk to you today is about the other side of disruption, because um, you have also work on uh, incumbent brands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I really like that you, uh, you set that because that's, that's a really interesting, I think there's been so much written about, you, you know, the disruptors and the new breed of companies, but what about the, and there's so much obsession with startups, you know, and, every, and everything, but what about the kind of the long-term, the end-ups or whatever, you know, the companies that can really endure and last and, and, and disrupt themselves. I think that's a, that's a fascinating topic. So. Yeah. Well, because even Airbnb, you, know, you, you were working with them way back in 14, which seems like forever ago in the history of that yeah. brand. Not years for these companies. So yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. I guess they're measured in quarters, but, um, they, but that company now is the entrenched, uh, incumbent in that space that it created, that it, it disrupted what was ahead of it. And now it's the entrenched brand. So my question is, as you were working with them, were they giving thought to what might build up underneath them and the, the challenges they might face from other potential disruptors or how, what was their thinking about that? Um, they definitely were, I think, well, their lead, their leader, Brian Chesky is, he's a very, you know, amazing guy, but, but incredibly bullish. And I don't think I ever heard him say he was worried, but I never heard him really, I mean, he was worried about anything, to be honest. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't really the way he rolled, but he was always looking over the horizon at the next thing and very restless. And so, you know, they, they were disrupting them within, within a year and a half, you know, they were disrupting themselves pretty majorly in terms of like, they were very much a pure accommodations platform, you know, home sharing when we joined, which is a very simple business model, which they, which they arrived upon and, and works brilliantly. But within two years, it was, there was very much an ambition to go much beyond that and be kind of the owners of the whole trip and be about experiences and all, the, and all these different things. Um, and, that, and that required quite a lot of internal disruption, um, and which had, you know, which I think um, was not always easy for those guys. But I think what was good, I think it's one of the, re- one of the things that's really important, whether you're an incumbent or, a, you know, a new 21st century brand is knowing the lens through which you're trying to disrupt um, because it can be very, dis- most businesses, it's very easy to identify about that you need to disrupt yourself. You know, I've been working in advertising for the last six years, so that industry is hugely aware of it. But it's a lot harder to know how to do it confidently and with and with, and with with vision in a way that, that actually can still build confidence in the organization. And I think with Airbnb, they had, you, you know, the, such a clear sense of mission and purpose in terms of belong, belonging and, 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 and a world that, where anyone can belong anywhere that it gives a real lens to to disruption. So all of those changes that were made, you know, introducing trips, uh, introducing experiences, introducing tips on the platform, they can book gigs now, you know, if you get, it's a very, very different app experience to the one that you got in, in, even three years ago, but, it, but it's all still very much in service of uh, belonging, which is always was both a real, you know, classic, you know, good brand purpose, a real human need, which is more important than ever, and a real competitive advantage of, of traveling on Airbnb. They'll never be the most convenient, you know, uh, way to travel, but you won't, at its best, you won't find a, an experience which gives you more belonging, certainly compared to living in a, you know, staying in a hotel where you're quite immersed in a little bubble of your own, rather than really feeling like you're in the neighborhood. And Absolutely. 
And you, you brought up ad agencies and, and there's been think pieces and, and, you know, plenty of YouTube videos and content of people saying we need to disrupt this industry. And at its core, it's a pretty simple, maybe not as distilled as Airbnb's brand purpose or, or mission, but advertising at its core should be somewhat single sentence, uh, you know, simplicity, but it seems that in that industry, the, the industry as a whole has had trouble figuring out how to help itself and individual agencies, except, you know, save a few have really struggled with figuring out how to either disrupt themselves or, or moat themselves and protect from being disrupted by all this new, all these changes. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really tough one. And I think, you know, the middle is going out of the industry, I think, and you're still seeing the great, great quality providers who can charge a premium and, and produce amazing lateral leaps of creativity and do brilliant work. And then you're seeing a huge, you know, huge amounts of scrappier, cheaper, faster, uh, smaller players, you know, and, and I think both of those ends of the market will thrive. Uh, and there's a massive need for both of those, but the middle is a really dangerous place to be in it. And it's hard and it just, it's, you know, it's a, you know, perfect storm of lots of different things, which I'm sure other, you know, some of your uh, previous uh, guests have, have talked about it at length. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging one. Um, you know, Airbnb has a really clear point of view. Yeah. Um, and uh, the brands that are disruptive, the, the, the businesses that are disrupted usually are occupying some safe middle ground. Uh, is, is the key to uh, not being disrupted to not to, to have a very pointed point of view, like Peloton would be very tough to disrupt because they've aligned their product market fit and their brand is so straight line that it'll be hard for another player to come in with a, with a product that's just like theirs. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, I think you are going to get dis I think one of the things is you are going to get disrupted because I think whatever category you're in now, there's so much, um, the, tool, the tools are so much more available. People are kind of stealing talent from each other all the time. You know, you look at any, any in the tech industry, you know, everyone's drawing from the same pool of engineers uh, and product folks and, and so on. And so it's difficult to really not be, to maintain a complete, you know, sort of white space from pure tech IP or, or whatever. Like there's always going to be people coming after you because there's so much sharing of knowledge and everything's so transparent now. I, I think the, the brands who are best placed to, to cope with it and who are able to disrupt themselves in the right way, I think, well, for, for us, we obviously thought a lot about, about this because, you know, 21st century brands is, is what we are, what we're trying to help work with the most definitive ones and create the most definitive ones of the century. So, for for us, there's kind of four attributes that the, that you kind of the, the truly sustained influential brands of, of this century will have. We believe, which is firstly that they're purpose led, you know, which is you know there's a really meaningful purpose there that can drive the business, but also drive a really uh, a positive impact on, on on the communities that they serve. That's that's a huge thing for for companies. Secondly, that they're they're really thinking about being community driven, not just not just customer focus. I'm not just thinking about, you know, selling to consumers, really thinking about the communities and that, that, that they serve and that, and that are part of their ecosystem and making sure that the right incentives are there. So that's the second thing where I think companies can really withstand disruption if they have that. The third is 
technology enabled or tech enabled that they, they really do have a world-class data-driven product mm-hmm. that can scale and connect emotionally. It doesn't mean that they're a tech company, but they have, you know, uh, but a, a really strong technology as part of their competitive advantage, you know, and that, that you see that in all sorts of sectors, you know, Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat, some of the most hyped and fastest growing uh, companies in terms of valuation right now are very much tech enabled, even though they're not tech companies. And then the, the fourth thing I think is that they've got their narrative base. They've got a really strong shared narrative and story that's interesting, that can get, get breakthrough, that can be iconic in the right way. And, and if, if businesses have those four things and really work on excellence on those, those four things, then, then they'll be better placed to both withstand disruption and also disrupt themselves in the, in the right way. Um, coming back to the Airbnb example of knowing you know, why they were disrupting. Yeah, let's go. Let's go through those from the point of view of a um, an incumbent that maybe you know is a is an older legacy brand that wasn't built on these pillars and and so let's talk about purpose um, mm-hmm. because uh, you see a lot of brands, a lot of companies, I should say, trying to figure out how to align themselves with purpose and sort of uh, what did they call it at at Can this year? They call it woke washing. Um, yeah. just sort of just slapping a, a sticker on there that says we support this and you know, 10% of what we do goes to this cause, but it's not right. really purpose built. That's yeah, that, that's right. And I, I think it was, it was great. Um, this, and can is, is, you know, is brilliant and terrible, you know, in equal measure. Cause there, there has been, I think the industry has got into a quite a bad habit of, of these kind of emotional, Films and one, you know, one-off, well-meaning, but 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 quite insignificant or, or misleading kind of one-off emotional anecdotal acts. You know, so it's not the same as just saying something. It's like you'll go and do. We've done this great thing in India with this one isolated product or this isolated one example, but it's not really a coherent, meaningful drive drive to actually be purpose-driven. It's more of a here's a really emotional story to make a certain constituent. Uh, feel good and so I thought it was great Alan Joke, the new, the new CEO of Unilever when he came out and, and said that it, it was a powerful challenge to the rest of the industry I thought and and just you know he made a powerful statement I, I think that basically said we have about 30 brands of Unilever right now which are really really uh, meaningfully purpose driven and where they're you know you've got a very clear purpose which is driving both meaningful action which is helpful for the world helpful for society but also driving commercial growth and you know i'm good I'm, i want the rest of the portfolio to be the same or or, or maybe there'll be di- there'll be serious um talks about divesting a lot of those and he came out and said that in public on, on bloomberg and and i think the fact that he said it was about 30 is it was a powerful statement because you know there's i don't know there's 170 plus brands in their portfolio. yeah that was i th- i found that to be pretty brave um yeah and and norm, I'm highly skeptical uh, person in in general of those kind of statements, but that he put a number to it, and it wasn't just um, purpose is great and purposes and look at Dove, we have this great example, but he actually quantified and said, yeah, we've got this many that are that are on the right path, and there's another huge chunk, 140 or whatever it is, that maybe we'll just have to punt. Maybe they they just don't work. Right, and yeah, I agree with you, and I, and I think. And I think there's a good tradition there. Like, I think it's not out of the blue for them. Like Paul Holman was a huge proponent of sustainability. And I know, I think, gave a lot of heart to, 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 
to to the industry to the to, to the NGOs who've been watching waiting for the industry to make meaningful progress. And he he just introduced a new level of transparency. I think in terms of the targets that he was setting and the level. Uh, the, the ambition and the transparency for which he was setting to setting these targets for Unilever, which which really challenged everyone else. So I think they they do have a bit of a heritage of of helping lead there, um, and I think they're a good example of, of of the sorts of things that you need to do as an incumbent to keep to to, to, to withstand disruption. And I, and I think making those public declarations is a good way of just making sure that it's. That you're going to be held accountable, you know, that, that gives huge momentum. Well, especially uh, in in news forums like Bloomberg, as opposed to on a stage at Cannes, where it's you know you're talking to yourself essentially, but going out into the public and saying it is is a different thing. Saying it to investors is a different thing. Right. It, it, exactly. So so I think you know that that's really encouraging. Do you me. think, in your experience, when I when we talk about purpose and we talk about it as a shield against disruption? Does does purpose have to be for a given brand? Does it have to be a unique purpose that no one else has, or does it just have to make sense for the brand? Or you know, what are the what are the guardrails around it that you have seen work, and if if any failures or flops, you know, what's what have you seen not work? You're always you're kind of triangulating a few uh, three things really, which is. Obviously, what what is what are we good at? What are we meaningfully? Where do we meaningfully have competitive advantages? What's in our pipeline in terms of technology, and so on? And also, what's interesting? The company's kind of DNA and soul, and all of that. And you know, I'm a big believer in that. So you're, you're looking at that. You're looking at what the communities that you serve and you want to serve really need. The big tensions that they're feeling right now, and then you're looking at what the competitions. To your you know, point about our ability, what the competition's really excelling in, what they're communicating, and so on, and you're and you're balancing those three things, and and you, and the right answer lies between those those three things. What, right, and it'll it'll vary by business. It'll vary by by business, and I think there's the other slight variable with with I think with a lot of the tech companies that we work with is actually just the found literally the founders themselves that they're incredibly attached to the business still and quite dominant and their own. Kind of archetype and DNA and, and own founding things, own personal traits are actually really important. I think for it to work as well, because the the leader, you know, the, the three things I've just talked about are, are critical filters for it. But another thing is just the, the, the kind of the way that you go about creating that purpose, which is you have to have the leader signed up from the start to the process. They have to be involved. You can't just. I, I'm a I'm very wary of reversing purpose in from marketing, which is kind of the way it got done quite a lot, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's just really hard to do that. You can do it. You know, you, I've been there. You know, you you have a great at previous places. You have, you work in marketing really well, best intentions. And then you kind of, you then have, you know, really strong pitch to the, the rest of the leadership team and the CEO. And that can either go to it. It's just rejected or, or it, you win them over in the moment, but they're not, the hands aren't on it, the fingerprints are on it. So as soon as it's tested, which it will be, because there's always good reasons not to pursue it, because you have to sacrifice stuff for your purpose, then it starts to fall apart quite a lot. Whereas if they've really invested in it, they've argued about it, they've debated it, they've been in the Google Docs working on it, then they're, they're much more accountable. And it'll, and it'll be better as well. The simple, the simple nuances when you've had to convince a, you know, a, 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 your head of engineering or your chief product officer or your chief people officer about that purpose, simple nuances and of language, um, which you won't even really understand as if you're coming straight from marketing. You might, you might not get that, but they they 
iron those things out and they can really work with it. So I think that's, as well as the filters, it's the journey you go on and making sure it's a leadership thing and it's a company thing, not just a marketing thing. Or otherwise, it's, it's, you know, it can be great storytelling for a year or two, but it's probably unlikely to, to drive the business meaningfully and, and isn't really you know, worthy of the, of, of the name of mission or, or purpose. And I think that's where a lot of companies you know, end up running into trouble because people can smell it and you, you've had some big high-profile things. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, it's it's like it's like rotten. It's like rotten meat. It's like you know right away when it's not when something's off. Yeah, and I think the difference is Adam now that you know industry insiders. You know, you you and your listeners will always be able to smell it. But now I think you've just got a generation who actually will call call it out. You know, and they don't they're not marketing savvy. They're just much more clued up than I was when I was eighteen or twenty, um, and 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 will call companies out for it. And and we've had you know. The, the, the Pepsis and the PNGs and, and people with the best intentions having shockers in this area. Yeah. Well, let's talk narrative, I think, next, because that plays right into it. I mean, so that you're, if you have a real purpose, it's hard for someone to come at you and, and um, reveal anything or disrupt in that way. Um, how does the narrative, how do you think about narrative from the purpose of a brand? an incumbent brand that is, you know, defending territory. Is there a difference in, uh, you know, for an established brand versus uh, a disrupting brand or a startup brand? Yeah, there, there is because you're, you know, you're already a known quantity and you, and and it's, it's, it's harder to be, it's, it's much easier for, for smaller, for smaller businesses, I think, and up and coming businesses to, to challenge meaningfully. Because you can always, you know, you can have a poke at the way things are done. You can have a poke at the industry. You can have a, you can, you know, it's a well-established practice to to have a go at the, you know, place place your narrative on on attacking whatever the leader is and and, it, and its faults. And I think you know, lots of businesses have been built really well that 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 way in terms of communications, right from Avis um, onwards. And I, and I think you've got to you've got to take a different. You can still be challenging if you're a, if you're an incumbent, but you're it's probably a higher order sort of challenge. You're challenging against the cultural assumption, which needs to be, you know, I mean, Dove's a really nice uh, example of an incumbent brand, which, you know, took a stance on something which is much more of a cultural issue around, you know, the beauty being a source of insecurity. Um, And I think that that was a a, a brilliant, um, you know, basis, narrative based on a really simple the important ten- tension and, and just tragic truth, which was that for, for, for a lot of women, beauty was a source of insecurity. And so them trying to make it into much more into a source of confidence and, 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 and the, what the sort of progress they made in terms of casting and messages and, and a lot of the, the um, support systems they put in place alongside it for, 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 for women were really, I think, a great example of, of narrative and action coming together from an incumbent brand. And that's, that's such a good example because they were really doing it for a long time. I mean, it's yeah. been right. It's been 20 years of that, that uh, sentiment in their, in their brand. I wonder the way that uh, people come to that category. If how, how much I remember seeing it as a kind of a new message, you know, way back in the nineties, I'm old um, when they started that campaign and when they started turning towards that 
and thinking, oh, that's new. That's a new take. I've never thought of that that way before. But now I wonder as women are maturing and coming into that category and looking at beauty products and looking at, um, you know, grooming products, if now that is kind of face value. And so now that's ripe for disruption. You know, they've been so consistent with it that does it start to get glossed over and now that's table stakes. Yeah, I know what you mean when you say glossed over. I, mean, I think there's a new wave of brands who are just acting like are just acting like that now without even having to say like gloss, glossier. I know that was yeah, intentional. right, right, right. And they are and they are really going back to the kind of community-driven aspect of, of of the most influential brands of the future. They are just inherently built on their community. The products are shaped by their community. The community are advocates. They really have to advertise like that. But the the, the the way that they've harnessed their fan base and built really the business from that is, is incredible. And, and it's a very, um, it feels very natural. And their, and their version of beauty feels much more, you know, just miles away from 15 years ago without it ever being a statement, you know, about it. They're just doing it. So I agree that that was, that was right then. And that was disruptive then. And, and what's going to be disruptive now is, 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 is different. It, it keeps, it keeps changing. And is that true in technology too? Do you think that, um, you know, you, that a brand like that sets the bar, reframes the entire category, and then it becomes, well, that's the entry level. That's the entry point for any new brand. We don't even have to talk about that as a point of difference. And so now you've declawed, you know, the, the category leader is that I'm sure that applies to technology as well, where, we're so used to the Uber experience and our apps that everybody's app, even if it's not a, uh, a mobile service better be as slick as that. Yeah. Down with every big wave of empowerment, you know, there, there tends to be quite a big shadow. Unfortunately, often there's also a shadow of that empowerment, which is, which is also proving quite harmful. Um, and, and so there's, there's always an opportunity for brands to correct. You know, there's a self-correction, I think, which happens with with tech, which I've seen that quite first time with one of our, one of our um, founding clients is Pinterest. And and they're, you know, they're, they're, they've grown at a slower rate than than Facebook or, or Instagram. And it's been, but they're, they're really having a moment right now, partly because I think that, People need that, that they're up for a real counterbalance to a lot of the, the established norms of, of the way that we spend our social time on our phones, you, you know, um, working, working with them and really spending quite a lot of time with users of Pinterest and understanding how they use Instagram, how they use Facebook and how they felt on, on different platforms. It's just the, the kind of comparison side of a lot of the, you know, amazing platforms, and obviously Instagram and, and, and Facebook in so many ways in terms of you can connect to people, you can see what people are doing, but it just leads to so much a sort of comparison ep epidemic, which has been well documented now that there's quite a lot of challenges around that. If it gets out of hand, but people can still be powerful. And and Pinterest is an interesting example of a product which is, um, it's it's much more about thinking about your own future rather than worrying, you know, comparing your your kind of pasts with other, with other people's. And that's quite a precious thing. And, they, and they've been much more purposeful about their growth and, and yeah. throttling it to a certain extent or not. They didn't, they, their story doesn't always lead with growth and monthly active users and time spent. And they, they've, they've actually been coy about 
metrics in a way that makes it hard for a competitor to know how to measure whether you're beating them or whether you're making inroads against them. And that they right. haven't, they've avoided, you know, getting into the tit for tat where Facebook is counting, you know, monthly average or daily average users. And then when that number ticks down a little bit, it looks like the end of the world. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And they, they've made, you know, they've made sacrifices on behalf of their ethics, which is always a good test of, of ethics. You know, they, I mean, they got, and they got rid of the like button about three years ago, for example, um, because it, I, th I think there was a, you know, the, the founders and a lot of the, the issues have, you know, pretty moral people actually, and, and, and thought that it was not in the interest of the, of the community. Um, because they, the, a lot of the magic of that platform, for example, is just the, the mindset that it puts people and they feel quite confident afterwards because they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about, and they're not quantifying the worth of what they've been doing. And, you know, and that, and, and I think that was a really powerful thing to do. And, and, and I think, right now their time is, is coming, you know, because I think, well, certainly as a parent myself, I'd want my daughter on that, but using that, I wouldn't be particularly uh, enthralled if she was on other things right now. And I'm not, a, I'm not hating on the other platforms at all. I just think that you need balance. It's the same with exercise and sedentary activities, the same as having a balanced diet. You just need balance in the way you spend your time online. Um, and so I think they're a good example of a, of a, of a technology that's, that's, coming through as a counterbalance to a huge explosion of activity. Yeah, um, because they've, they've created a place that they have their product and their brand are a place where it's okay to go and browse and there's no pressure for you to have to post or like, as you said, they remove the like button. So by taking away those common uh, actions that we're used to in, on social web, they've created a really unique place. Yeah. They're an inspiration. They're an inspiration company. It has one of the, we, we work with them a lot to just clarify exactly what they were. And it's really, it's just pulling it out of them rather than a, a massive reveal, but it, they're an inspiration company. You know, Google's the world's in, information company and that's what they do. And Pinterest is where anyone can go and get inspiration, whatever you're doing, whatever level of, you know, you might be, you know, a kid learning about money for the first time, or you might be, you know, the Gagosian, you know, thinking about your next investment or whatever, Pinterest can meet you wherever you are and give you the inspiration you need to keep moving your thing on. And that's, that's pretty priceless because most people can't afford like a, you know, an art curator or, or whatever. They can't afford a muse and, and Pinterest can be that. So it's a, it's a really beautiful thing that they do at their best with people. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And I, and, and I would imagine that what they're building would be very hard to disrupt for somebody else to try to come into that space and they're able to very thoughtfully now add features for that community that enhance that inspiration. So if they, as they add, you know, click to buy and features that um, I'm sure they're, they're working on beyond that, it makes sense to the user and it doesn't feel like a bolt on and they're not hitting me over the head with, you know, kind of crazy ads that where did this come from? Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And it's definitely not easy. You know, it's, it's so aggressive and, and, you know, Google and Instagram are formidable competitors, but they are, I think they, they are really on, onto something and they have a very clear sense of purpose and what, and their identity of what they're doing. You know, one of the most recent things they introduced was compassionate search, which is, um, there's quite a lot of people who use the platform late at night, you know, and, and maybe when they're stressed or anxious 
and so on. And, and if they pick up certain signals, then you'll be invited into a kind of, it's, it's almost like a, a different experience within Pinterest where you can do exercises, breathing exercises, meditation, really light, you know, for people who aren't ready to, to you know, pay $200 a year or whatever it is for, for calm or headspace, but need some sort of help. And, and, and I think that's a great example of, you know, providing people with the inspiration they need at that moment, but in a way which isn't invasive or silly, it just picks up on certain signals. So I think there's something powerful going on there. Yeah. And, and I want to close with that example because it is not a, that's not a marketing tool. That is not, I don't think they started with a purpose, uh, you know, a, um, they started with a purpose for the product, but I don't think as I've read about, it, I don't think they started with a, you know, a purpose to talk about, but I think they found it aligned with inspiration and aligned with keeping people inspired and positive as opposed to being less down and disappointed by not living up to the, to the standard of what they're seeing. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's, it's, it's interesting. That wasn't the original purpose of the, of the business. But, it, but over time, they've learned from their users and the users have learned from them and they've realized that's what they are today. You know, and that's, that's part of our job to help them to do that. And, and that became, partly became because the founders knew that what had got them to where they were wasn't going to get them to the next 10 years. And I think that's, that's a really important part, again, going back to um, what it takes to withstand disruption and, and is to know when you need to look deep inside. Um, so there's different types of disruption you can have. There's obviously disrupting your product and, and innovating all the time, but then it's also taking a hard look at what you are about. Right. Uh, right. And say it's, it's, um, and I don't think there's a, I don't think, you know, we can have the, we have our views on the right filters and the right things, but part of this is just human in, intuition of when is a moment to make a change as well. I mean, that, that part of it can't be overlooked. No, absolutely. And, and they've displayed great, um, Patience at, at Pinterest in particular. All right. Well, this was, uh, this was fantastic. Neil Barry, thank you so much for making time and joining me from uh, across the Atlantic ocean. I, I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks Adam. This was great. Where can people find you online, sir? Uh, if they want um, chat to chat to us, uh, we are 21cb.com. So, all right, excellent. And we'll definitely link to that uh, in the show notes and uh, make sure we're sending people your way. All right, thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard or you've liked any of the episodes of the Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever, please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, that helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon. It's Patreon, uh, Adam Pirano there, and you could help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It and Specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampierno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, 
to send me a note. Thanks a lot.